This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. The First Lady of New York Radio. This is Joan Eats. Big holiday weekends mean hot dogs. And the unofficial kickoff of summer actually starts with Memorial Day. So light up the grill. It's hot dog season again. I want to tell you which hot dogs are considered the best tasting and which hot dogs you should avoid at the grocery store. I actually found an article online from Bon Appetit, that's the food magazine, that answers the questions. It was called, Which Hot Dog Brand is Best? And it was updated in 2023. It's part of a series where the editors conduct blind comparisons to discover the best supermarket staples like like hot dogs, like vanilla ice cream, french fries. So they tasted all beef hot dogs. They prepared them by boiling, and they tested seven of the most popular brands, and the judging was on flavor, the casing, the snap, the firmness. The biggest loser, don't forget this isn't us, this is um, Bon Appetit's editors, the biggest loser, Oscar Mayer, Last in place, none of the tasters seemed to like them. Applegate Organic, some tasters found the hot dogs to have a weird taste like artificial butter used in popcorn. They also didn't like the texture. They thought they were, to quote, flabby. Trader Joe's, tough to cut through. And one guy said, or I don't know if it was a man or a woman, He said, these hot dogs squeak against your teeth. And another said, too much snap. Others said they tasted fine. Ballpark, they all thought were juicy, but split on taste and firmness. Hebrew National, one taster loved the coriander taste. Another thought they were too seasoned. But overall, they came in third. Sabret, familiar, Good, they like the smoky, the balanced spices. A great hot dog, according to the judges, came in second. Number one, Nathan's, the best beef hot dogs, got high marks from all the tasters. One person said juicy but not pasty. And a lot of others, not only Bon Appetit, found Nathan's hot dogs the best. So we looked at other publications, and Nathan's was on top in many of them, including a Consumer Reports that went back to 2022, Reader's Digest. So if you want beefy, garlicky hot dogs that a lot of people like, Nathan's is your best pick. If you need a kosher hot dog, Hebrew National is a choice, and you can't go wrong with a Sabret dog. This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. The First Lady of New York Radio, Joan Hamburg. Entertaining and informative. Talk Radio 77 WABC. Welcome, everyone. I'm Joan Hamburg, and I don't have to introduce you 
to one of America's favorite foodies and food people, Lydia Bastianich. But lots of things are going on in this very busy household. Lydia has a new PBS special. She literally gets to taste the foods of the world without leaving home too much. And Lydia, who came from an immigrant family, and they made their way and have done brilliantly, she looks back at this experience through food in Lydia Celebrates America, Flavors That Define Us, which is going to air on PBS May 30th, and will also stream that day on pbs.org and the PBS app. And Lydia talks to refugees and shares their experience with all of us, what it's like, and she knows better than most because her family have that. What is it like to start over again in a strange place, a strange language, strange people? How do you deal with it? And Lydia goes all over and shares that with us and explains the connections that she found between these people and food and a new culture. How does this happen? And how do you get in those closed doors? And Lydia herself will tell you what it was like being a refugee, and even as a child, she had a gift for cooking, and how she took this from what could have been really an awful experience into what became her family business and the family legacy, restaurants and products and books, and you name it, the Bastianich people are involved and they do it. So welcome to you, Lydia. Thanks for having me, Joe. Nice to talk to you. I always love talking to you, finding out what's on the table and what's going on in your life. You've got the American Flavors That Define Us brand new documentary. Tell me about that. What made you decide to do that? Well, Joe, you know, I have my regular cooking show uh, on weekly, but once a year, for the past 12 years, uh, it's kind of, I wanted to thank America because sometimes uh, I think that uh, maybe being an immigrant, I see America in a, in a different light. And I wanted to share how much uh, America means to me and the opportunities that not only I, but all the immigrants, all the people that came, America gives. And, uh, and uh, you know, because we are all immigrants here. So I thought that this, with all this going on with immigrants and the problems and, you know, settling them and so on, I said, being an immigrant, let me go out there and let me sort of talk to these different ethnicities, different uh, immigrants. Let me see if their dream was like mine. Let me see what they found here. And, you know, document some of those uh, uh, minutes and, and, and times and discussions. And you know what, John? Food was the main carrier because, you know, food opens doors. So I went in the kitchen, cooked with them, and then I found out all the other things I wanted to know. And when you visited all these different refugees from various places all over America and learned and heard their stories, how they started a new life, how they created businesses, was there a commonality among this diverse yes. group? Absolutely. You know, they were uh, uh, from 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 China, from Afghanistan, from uh, 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 Ukraine, uh, all kind of different Cuba, all people, all immigrants from all different cultures. And yet, you know, the underlying was the need, the want to feel secure, to have a home, a permanent home where they can grow, raise their family, educate their kids and have a peaceful life where they can practice their religion, their language, and still be accepted in the whole that is America. That was, all of them wanted it, and I know that I wanted that, even at the young age that when I came. All I wanted was a door with a key 
that I could last and we could be safe. The family could be finally safe in one home, in our home. And did this group, you were 12 years old when you came to America, mm-hmm. did this group of immigrants whom you had opportunities to talk to have a similar experience to you? Was it harder for this group as the country has become even more complicated over the um, decade? Yeah, I think, you know, my process was right after World War II and fleeing communism. It was a, a long process, being a refugee camp for two years. Ultimately, you know, all the vetting that went on. And uh, it took about two years to, for finally for us to be accepted and welcomed in America. Uh, I think that uh, these, uh, they, their, 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 their situation is a little bit different, you know, from Ukraine. I mean, you know, uh, she was fleeing. She went, this is a mother with one son, you know, and all she wanted is safety for her son and education. And uh, this son, a teenager, was a little spoken out, and I guess he said, well, you know, something to the effect that Putin should be replaced, and uh, they they were kind of threatening him, and he, mm. uh, they ultimately escaped into Poland, and ultimately, you know, via the Internet. And uh, there's a great organization, Welcome U.S., uh, Welcome Us. And this organization kind of pairs immigrants with American families that want to take their immigrants into their homes. Right. So, you know, this was uh, this is wonderful. And, she, and her move was rather quick, the vetting and all process. So it, it, it's different, I think, for the... Uh, the young man from from Cuba, uh, his his was his uh, he escaped something like us, came here and then slowly worked his way up. Uh, the Bhutan, the gentleman from Bhutan escaping uh, uh, religious persecution, he was in a camp for eight years. So Unbelievable. Yeah. So how did he get resettled? I often wondered. That process <laughs> takes so long, but. Who finds these people with hundreds of others in these camps? Well, you know, the U.S. government has open, I guess, uh, venues, and they have to ultimately uh, apply. But there are organizations within their own community. The Bhutan uh, ultimately went into a refugee camp uh, in in, uh, Nepal, which is the bordering country. And, of course, you know, not unlike what's happening with refugees now, that they are all over Europe and in Italy and in the right. <clears throat> Austria and so on. Then the organization, you know, the local organization, the United Nations uh, refugees, the and the different religious actually association, all kind of extend and try to help these refugees uh, to get settled. Now, my experience was, you know, we we went were in camp. We were uh, 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 first help, uh, helped by the Catholic Relief Services, which was a service within Europe that helped us while we were in the camp. Then from there, once finally we, had, we were vetted, we were approved, and back and forth, two years later, we got the uh, okay to come, the visa to come to the United States. We were greeted here by the Catholic Charities. We had nobody here. So the Catholic Charity greeted us and took care of us. You know, there's a lot of great, good people out there and organizations that help to relieve this pressure, this this sad situation that helps to put these immigrants that are looking for a safe haven, a safe place, into a situation where they can continue their lives. And some of them fall through the cracks, you know, mm-hmm. and it's difficult. So, so it's everyone has kind of a different connection on how they ultimately get, whether it's in the United States or whether it's in, in Canada or whether it's in Australia. You know, all these countries are offering, uh, but it's a slow and long process. No, and it's very complicated. How did your family get enough money to live when you first arrived? Well, the, actually the organization, the Catholic Charities, we would meet with with a social worker, and uh, we had an Italian-speaking social worker so that we could communicate because we yeah. didn't speak the language. And they would give us 
<clears throat> they would give my mother monthly kind of an allowance. They we they put us in a hotel. They gave us an allowance, and they told my mother, you know, the Horn and Heart was there, the Italian deli is there. You feed the kids until we will settle you and find you a home. And we, we stayed there for about a month and a half. And ultimately, they found, again, the Catholic services, found us a little home in New Jersey, and uh, connected us with the Italian-American community in New Jersey. And, uh, John, I can't tell you how they really rallied up and help the Italian American community. They would come, these women would come with bags of food, with the towels, with napkins, with mm. clothes to wear, sweaters. They would regularly bring this gift to our home, you know, which was which I mean, like like out of out of out of the sky, all this goodness right. came. And uh, you know, uh, I that's why I feel so grateful. And uh, you know, uh, yes, mm. I work hard, yes the opportunities were there and I took them. But all of this, 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 this need, I think, and I, in this special, I also emphasize that, that as immigrants, we have a responsibility. Once we are, have been helped, settled, yeah. once we have settled to return, to give back and to help others. And that's what you've done. But did you know when the family, you were only a child, nine years old, but was food part of the family dream, or it just happened? Well, you know, uh, we was—I uh, was always into food. Food, let's put it that way. Food was at the basis of my growing up. Not enough of it. Sometimes, uh, yes, uh, the production of food with my grandmother, the saving of the beans in the summer for the winter, the potatoes, making the sausages with the with the with the pigs uh, every November making uh, ricotta with the goat's milk. So I was always involved from the production of food because of necessity in the early, uh, in my my sort of formative years, then being in the camp, being online for food, Joan. You know, in the camp there was a big mess hall and and having a little plate. And as a, you know, I was a 10-year-old, 11-year-old girl online waiting for my food and kind of, uh, not having that food and not being sure whether you'll have it, that that kind of insecurity about food. Then coming to America and having this 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 opportunities, you know, one after another, uh, uh, growing up naturally. The first thing, I, because I came here, I was 12. I wanted to be American. I wanted to make sure that I'm not going anywhere anymore. And, uh, you know, it was Elvis Presley time, and I loved that, and I wore my bobby socks, and I did it all. And within 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 one year, I I uh, we spoke uh, fairly good English. You know, I wanted to be assimilated uh, and wanted to feel yeah. secure from the very very beginning. But John, food was was sort of uh, it's also driving when we left, and it's memories. When I left my grandmother, and and I longed for her, and and that place that you kind of the house that you left behind. Food was the connector. Cooking and the aromas uh, that when cooking the food that I remember from my grandmother, when my mother was cooking it, brought me back to a very comfortable place. Mm -hmm. So for me, food was always very meaningful, and it really shaped who I am and my personality. And the first restaurant, that was a whole family effort? The first restaurant, yeah, it began actually because uh, we got into the food line. You know, as as a, as a young girl, I worked in Walkins Bakery. Uh, my mother worked in the bakery. You worked in restaurants, so you kind of build up in what you feel comfortable and what you like, even as a as a youngster. But the first restaurant is uh, uh, I, with my husband. He was in the restaurant business. He was an immigrant as well, and he was what they called the front of the house. You know, he. Uh, he was not in the cooking, although he was a good cook. And that's when we opened our first restaurant. This first opportunity, adventure of being, inter- the opportunity of being an entrepreneur from an immigrant in a camp right. to being an entrepreneur, you know, it, uh, it, was, it was a milestone. And it was small. And yes, the family was involved in helping. My mother would come and make pasta, make gnocchi. We all had a, a little helping hand, because, you know, we had to make it happen. And it started to happen. 
He certainly did. Uh, you know, uh, I I I wasn't a chef then, but I uh, food was always my part. So we hired a chef, but I got in the kitchen with them. Became with him, became his true chef, and slowly introducing all the dishes that we cooked at home that I knew, the polenta, the risottos. And I think, John, that's what really made me stand out first as a young woman Italian in the kitchen chef, and then cooking these strange Italian dishes that were from, because they were the dishes of regional Italy. Here we had the Italian-American cuisine, which is wonderful, but it was a little different. And did you find that the immigrant experience is very different from city to city, or there is a thread that runs through? What I found uh, was certainly that immigrants really uh, cluster together. You know, calling the ghetto, there really is. And it's a necessity because when you come, you feel the need. Uh, you, you need the security. Like when we were put in New Jersey, uh, it was an Italian community, and they all rallied against us. I found that the Afghanistans had this down in Dallas, and how they helped their new immigrants coming in. The community helps it, itself. The, the same thing down in with the with the in Hartfield with the Polish uh, with the uh, um, Ukrainian. Slowly, because but you know in in Hartfield what happened. Uh, the difference between a big city and uh, a rural community mm-hmm. uh, of where an immigrant is inserted. In in uh, a rural community, most it's most that the population, the American population of that small town or whatever, embraces. Uh, mm-hmm. And the immigrants get integrated, I think, quicker Pastor. into, whereas mm-hmm. in a city, this, these kind of uh, areas uh, formed of the different, you know, like the Chinese town, the Italian town, and so on. So that was a difference that I saw between, between you know, within the, but all of the communities of immigrants were in some form or other looking to help their new immigrants, the immigrants of their culture coming in. And bring them along. I'm talking to Lydia Bastianich the Emmy Award-winning TV host, a writer, a restaurateur, who has her new PBS special, Lydia Celebrates America. And all of us can look back to some relative, whether it's our first, second, whatever, who have gone through this experience and made their way in America. And it's these stories are unbelievable, and almost all of them want to be American, want to have the true experience, and want to give back to this community. And Lydia understands it more than most. Are your children, they love hearing the stories of how everything happened. They, your son, Joe, was a baby crawling around your feet as you did restaurants and your food. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, y- yes, I am grateful for that. You know, we always kept, of course, our culture. My mother, you know, she lived with us. So my kids were always exposed to the two cultures. And you know what was, what was uh, you know, I just related so much. Uh, when when I was down and um, with the Chinese chef, uh, let me just get her name one minute. The, the, she ultimately is blind and she won the, and what she said, she said she is actually Vietnamese. And what she said, she said, you know, my I was born in America. My my family are uh, Christine Ha. Uh, my family were the refugees. So here I was, she said, uh, with my family, I was Vietnamese. Going out, I was American. And I was never sure of myself which one yeah. I really am because I was very... Uh, Vietnamese with the family and very American going outside. So I think, you know, uh, that's that's what my kids also felt, but it's to their uh, enrichment to, to, to know the other culture that they are, to learn about other cultures. And, yes, I took them to the camp. I tell them the whole story. And, you know, uh, from time to time, as kids would do, now they're adults and teenagers, they say, Grandma, 
tell me the story when, and they want to know this, they still want to know, because it's relevant to today's time. So what she, they're learning in school and whatever. And here they have, you know, a real life uh, experience to kind of tap in. Right. And do you find that if you can eat anything or your children now grown can eat anything, does it go back to the family original table with grandma and with you uh, c- cooking and producing all of this? Or is uh, it yeah. American? It, it does. You know, I mean, they love their hamburgers and the frankfurters, and we have those, you know, to balance all out, good roast prime ribs. But, uh, yeah, I think when holidays come around, when the family gets together, uh, they do long for the traditional, the, the flavors, the aromas that bring them back home to when they were children, I guess, and very comfortable uh, four generation at one table enjoying. So, you know, uh, food is is, uh, is an identity of who we are. It's part of our history. It's part of our memoirs. It's part of our, so absolutely, you know, those flavors are, uh, they expect them on certain holidays. What do you mean you're not going to make that? Something like that, right. you know. Uh, and and so, uh, but it's it's a combination. But it's like having a bigger palette. If you are a, 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 an artist or whatever, you know, you we have a lot to choose from. And so, um, you know, the holidays, uh, a nice prime rib of beef, absolutely. But I will have the tortellini in brodo before, the antipasto, right. and so on. And they would feel upset if it wasn't part of the meal. Absolutely. They they associate certain dates, family gatherings with certain foods. Exactly. I think all of our children do. And upset. Yeah. You know, my son always says to me, why isn't this part of the meal? We always have that <laughs> at grandma's. And I said, but I thought you didn't like it. He said, it doesn't matter. I need it at the meal, and I understand. That's their holding yeah. on and touching the, those they love that aren't here in the past. Exactly. Food does that, transports you. Yeah, we like that. Well, Lydia's got her brand-new special for PBS, mm-hmm. and it's an incredible adventure, experiencing what so many have coming to this country, and food is the commonality that they have. It's airing May 30th on PBS, and then they're going to stream it, pbs.org, and on the PBS app. All the best to you, my dear Lydia. We'll talk again very soon. Thanks, Joan. Thanks for having me, and uh, I love it. Are great you, conversation. Your new books? Do you have yes, any? there's a new book. There's a new book coming out in October. Okay, uh, well, we'll talk from, then. From my family, from my family table to yours, all our family favors. And also, uh, yeah, I just finished yesterday filming uh, my new uh, series, which also will air, Lydia's Kitchen, which also will air in October. So there's going to be some more new uh, uh, things happening in October, and we can talk again. I look forward to it. Say hello to the family and enjoy then whatever. Thank you. Thank you, Joan. Bye, All Lydia. the best to all. You too. Bye-bye. Bye. And I'm Joan Hamburg. That's Lydia Vastianich. And you and I have lots more, so don't go anywhere. Stay here. You're listening to WABC Radio. Taking you behind the curtain, it's the Joan Hamburg Show. Talk Radio 77 WABC. All right, guys. I saw a play recently where the audience laughed so hard that when there was the intermission, I got up and I always go to my favorite critics, the women on the ladies line, ladies are line, and I said, what do you think? Are you enjoying yourself? And universally, you know how long the ladies room lines are in theaters, almost every one of them said, you have no idea how good it felt to laugh. And that was the feeling. What joy there is in going to the theater, seeing some great performances, and 
really laughing. Some of it's so silly that you just can't help yourself. The rest of it, very, you know, it's, it's a mixture of a lot of great things. And one of the actors does a great, they all do a great job, but Kevin Cahoon, I loved, he plays Peanuts. And I'm trying to remember how many years it is since Kevin, who's been doing a lot of television, has been on Broadway. And it's a lot of years, right, Kev? Yes. Hi. Thank you so much for having me. It, I, my last Broadway show was 16 years ago. And to come back with this show that produces this much joy and laughter, um, it really, I, I could not have asked for anything more. Um, to come back to New York and and be able to be a part of this wonderful show, and I'm so happy you loved it. Yeah, <laughs> and you and you were working. Oh, I mean, it wasn't like you were sitting home trying oh, no. to get jobs. You had a big and are having a big television career, and then this play. Well, tell me how this play happened. Yeah. Well, you yes, know, corn had... is not your typical Broadway topic. That's very true. We're doing a musical about corn. Here's my $3 million. I don't think so. <laughs> um, <laughs> I got the audition about nine years ago for this show, which at the time was called Moonshine. Now it's called Shut. Um, and... It was so funny, and it was so um, heartfelt, full of heart. It took nine years to get it to New York. Uh, we did Dallas. We did Salt Lake City. We did the O'Neill Festival in Connecticut. There was great upheaval within the creative team. <clears throat> Only the book writer, the two composers, and myself are still there still with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we did many, many readings. You know, there was a little something called a pandemic in the middle of all of it, which sort of derailed us. Um, And it just took time to find its time, its place. And I think had it opened before the pandemic, I don't know if people would have been as in great of need for it as they are now. Mm -hmm. It feels like a tonic for our time. Um, And it, it really... It, it it's so singular in its voice. You're right. You don't see shows like this on Broadway often. And it's also a look at small town America without right. being clawing. You know, it's it hits a lot of spots for people who so many needed people, this. Yeah, that's true. So many people at the line when we're signing uh, playbills at the end of yeah, the show yeah. say. I'm from Iowa. I'm from Ohio. I'm from Nebraska. And we never have felt like we have seen ourselves represented on stage um, the way that we're seeing this. And we're so appreciative. And I thought that was really sweet and really unique. And theater is for everyone. That's what wonderful theater is. You know, it's for everyone to come together in a place, not on a screen, and experience something as a group. I agree, and and sort of rejoice in the shared commonality, you know, and escape for mm-hmm, a couple of mm-hmm. hours from uh, this very complicated world we're, yes. we're, we're getting through. But you had the unique experience of being with the show from the very beginning, and a lot of folks don't, you know, ever hear the inside stories of, how fragile sure. it is, that connection, and how, yes, the show, we're going to do it no matter what, and then, no, we're not going to do it, and producers leave, and you have to find new ones. So it's a long road, and you took that journey and hung with it. As you said, there are three of you from the original yeah. group still involved, and what a reward to go from all those years to a Tony nomination and all the good things that people dream about. It is. And it is something I have dreamed about. I did my first Broadway show 29 years ago. um, And I had never, an award nomination had never come my way. And, you know, you see friends, it happens for friends and rightly so. And you think, well, maybe that's not going to be my artistic journey. 
Um, right. But I believed in this show. I thought this show was so special, and nothing was going to prevent me from, you know, being a part of it. I was Doing on a television it. show. Yeah. Right. A television show on Fox called Monarch uh, last season. And had it gotten a season two, who knows if I would have been able to do this incredible Broadway musical that has led to a Tony nomination. Um, but the show only lasted one season. It's just, and of course you're heartbroken because you think, oh, this is a big splashy television show and financial security and all of those things. But um, yeah. it uh, it all worked out the way it's supposed to. And, and it really, you know, if you just trust in the universe, it's going to guide you where you need to go. Just watch the tea leaves, as they say. Um, but I just love the show, and I love the character, and it's so fun to listen to the reactions from the audiences. And it's interesting you mentioned intermission because we did a version of the show with no intermission. We thought, oh, can we just do a 90-minute? But what right. we discovered was the audience was so tired from laughing that they needed that 15 minutes to sort of recharge to go into a second act. It's very delicate, well, as you and mentioned. Very. And you know what's interesting is that the second act, they start laughing right from the beginning, but the second act, you raise that important point of re-energizing. It's like they had a little snort of something because <laughs> they were going crazy in the, the first act, they're still laughing. We're not taking away from that. But by the second act, the guy next to me was like pounding the arm of the chair. You know, he was laughing so hard. And that was in the second act. And you brought it to Broadway at the right time. People are so drained. They yes. absolutely need to laugh. Yes. And we don't have yes. enough of that. That's right. It is so, so truly. You okay, know, and, I and think now about your nomination. Ah, uh, come on. I mean, what a dream. A dream come true. Best performer in a featured role in a musical. Who can do better yeah. than that? I know. I know. It is a complete dream come true. And there's so many great shows on Broadway this season. And so many actors were eligible for that category. And to be one of the five, it's just it's just beyond any dream I could have ever imagined. Truly. I'm gobsmacked. And it's coming true. Your, I know. I know. <laughs> Oh, and God. here we were all worried that because of the writer's strike, we weren't going to have the Tonys, which we can't afford not to have the Tonys. I mean, theater no. needs that. And yeah. thank goodness they, it got resolved. You know, no matter what happens during the writer's strike, we're going to have the Tonys. That's right. For a second there, I was so, nervous. But, um, you know, the Writers Guild came through with the waiver and... Charlotte St. Martin and everyone at the Broadway League, and they were all working so hard to find an agreement and yeah. make it happen. And it just, I am so grateful for it. And the city is going to be stronger and better for it because the economic impact um, is we need it. Yeah, yeah. It's a great yeah. commercial for our city. We, it's a great commercial for the theater. Absolutely. And we yeah. definitely need it. And you, during your long career... I mean, to have this as a little bonus dropped in. I mean, it's not that you are not a working actor. You work more than almost anyone I know well, in the business. I, and I am so, not a day goes by that I do not, that I am not grateful for this wonderful career before Shucked. But, you know, just to be an actor, just to be an actor in New York City, just to be an actor on Broadway, to make your living doing what you've dreamed of and loved, I know that it is so precious and so rare. I think 90% mm -hmm. of the Screen Actors Guild at one time or another is not working. So, you know, of it's course. just, it's a gift. It's a gift. And it's, um, I cherish it. I cherish it. And, you know, yes, you're, very talented and, and one of the lucky ones, too, because not everyone with talent works. And you mm -hmm. are having 
and have had really an incredible career. But my daughter-in-laws and I would hear her friends say, well, if I don't make it by, you know, 25, 30, whatever, it was all different, then I'm definitely going to do something else. But of course, if you've got it in your blood, you're going to hang in there. And, yeah. and yeah, you there's... did not turn your back on it no matter what. No. And there have been times where I was sitting thinking, uh-oh, is this it? Is, this, is there something else it's coming around the pipe? Yes. I've chosen this life where I'm sitting here worried about, you know, the next job or the next. Of course. But if you love it, you know, I knew that there was no other option for me. This mm-hmm. is, I've been a performer all of my life, and I knew that I just had to stay the course. Stay and the course. Didn't you do, as a kid, you did all kinds of stuff, too? Oh, working? yes. I started performing uh, in an unusual way as a rodeo clown in the rodeos. Now, your parents were doing that, right? My dad was a calf roper, and my mom uh, and dad met in the rodeo club as an elective in high school. And, you know, my aunt was a barrel racer, so rodeo was in our family. And I saw the clowns and thought, oh, they're telling jokes to this group of people. And, you know, they're wearing colorful costumes, and they're telling little stories. I want to do that. So that's how I started. And then I started doing theater when I was 10 at Houston's Theater Under the Stars. And then I won television show Star Search when I was 13. And, you know, I started very, very young. Been a 46-year performing career in one way or another. But it it worked. I mean, you worked always. Yeah. Yeah. Just keep going, keep going, keep going. I went to NYU and studied acting, which was a really Mm -hmm. smart thing for me to do. I learned so much. And, um, you know, it's also so fun to see all of your friends. You know, Chandra Wilson, who plays Dr. Bailey on Grey's Anatomy, we grew up together doing theater in Houston when we were 10. You're kidding. And she came to the show last night. And we just, you know, we both said, look, this is what we dreamed about when we were 10-year-old kids. What Mm -hmm. we're getting to do now, we dreamed about. It's, I know. I can't believe it. Like, look at us at, I know. at this midpoint in our life, still doing it. And um, I, I just count my and, blessings yeah, every day. Whatever. And now, not only doing it, but the Tony nomination. I mean, yes. you know, you can still have a fruitful career without it, but it is definitely gilding the lily. It is. And it feels it feels like an incredible special validation of all of these years of doing it. Um, And it feels like a benchmark moment. Uh, You know, I don't know how you top this. I really don't, especially in a show that people are loving so much. Um, And and to be with. Yeah, it's nine Tony nominations to be with this group of people beyond. I know it's heaven, but. When you first became aware of the show, whether through agents, managers, peers, did, didn't did you think, I mean, when I read in the theatrical index, oh, shocked is coming to town, I thought, you can't raise money for anything these days. How are they going to get money for a show about corn? I know. I was wrong. The money came in fast. Well, you know, I first read about a musical that they were making based on Hee Haw, the television show, right? in the Post, the New York Post. And I of thought, course. Oh, there should be a – it was a Michael Riedel column, and I thought, there's got to be something in this show for me. So I called my agents, and they said, nope, 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 they don't see it. They're not interested. And so I ran into someone on the music team and said, look, can you get me in? Can you get me in? I think there's a place for me. So he – Worked his back channels, got me into the show. Um, got me. Had into you an read it before, Kevin? Did no, you? I you was didn't. Going you purely, didn't. You purely on gut instinct of oh, this is a world that I think I can fit into. Uh-huh. I can, and um, you know, I think the craftsmanship of the show shines through. Jack O'Brien, legendary theater director. 
becoming attached and sort of shepherding this show with Brandy Clark and Shane McAnally, who wrote these incredible songs right out of the gate. They had never written a Broadway score before. You know, they have illustrious songwriting careers in Nashville and around the world. But, right, but not Broadway. But not Broadway. And then you had Tony winner, Rob Horn, who won the Tony for Tootsie, writing this hilarious, heartfelt book. And I think that them guiding this show and a gorgeous design, an incredible cast, it, it elevates sort of the world and the material in a way that I think is surprising audiences where they think, oh, this is a beautifully crafted Broadway show. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's not, it's not what they think. You know, right. it's not what the truth is. I try not to read about shows, you know, bef- too much before right. we go see them. Because if you do read too much, it sticks in your head. It's better not to know anything. I'm and, the same way. you know, and when you think about corn, you think how, how we've seen all kinds of crazy things. How is this going to work? <laughs> right. And, and, well, I think at its heart, it's about community. Right. About the small family. town. Yeah. Yeah. And how we as a as an American collective, we are better together. We are stronger. That's what our melting pot country is all about. And when we can cross the proverbial aisle and see um, similarities in each other, that's when we really have. That's what this country is at its greatest. Um, The divisive dialogue, which also is a part of a democracy, but also when we can come together to accomplish things, which is what this show is about, that's how, that's the, that's the beauty of America. That's the beauty. Right. And, and don't overlook that small town feeling because so many people related to that, you know, that, that community that no matter mm-hmm. what happens, there's someone there for you, whether it's a brother, a relative, a neighbor, or a boyfriend, girlfriend. It's That's all right. there. That's so right. do you miss TV, Kevin? Hey, I'm okay for now. <laughs> it's the money that's so good in TV. It is. And it's so fun to do TV and the people that you get to meet. And, you know, I did Monarch. Susan Sarandon was the star of Monarch. Yeah. And then I was also on Glow. And Gina Davis was the star of yeah, uh, really and I thought, oh, I've worked with Thelma and Louise. Like, how can you beat that? Where, <laughs> you can, you, where can you do that? <clears throat> so, um, and I've become friends with Susan in such a wonderful way. And just, I pinch myself as an actor because the people that I get to meet and know and hear their life stories, like, people dream about this. I dreamed about this. So... To get to experience it, it's just, I'm just so, so grateful. So grateful. I think it's terrific. And the show, well, the time I saw it was totally sold out and the line was around the block. So you're not going to be going anywhere far or fast. Thank you. You know, and I'm happily so. I'm happy to be right there at the Nederlander in Cobb County telling Peanuts sort of truth. Right. Um, you know, that's a 1,200 people every performance, so. Yeah, packed, <laughs> yeah, which is great. great. Well, Wonderful. congratulations. We'll be watching the Tonys. All the thank best you. to you. Oh, thank you for having me. What a joy this was. Really a, a, pleasure. a New York moment for me that I uh, will cherish. Thank you. Okay, thank you. Shocked. All right. At yeah. the Nederlander Theater. Go yeah. see it. You're going to laugh and feel so good. Everything is going to be all right. Remember, your mother said that. Your grandmother That's said right. that. That's right. Well, hang now, on. Yeah, hang on. Now Kevin's going to hold you by the hand and <laughs> take you through. Peanut will help you. <laughs> his persistence of memory. Uh, thank That's you, right. Kev. We'll be watching. Thank you. Take thank care. you so much. Talk- My pleasure. I'm Joan Hamburg, and you're listening to WABC and more ahead. it's 
Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Survivor 46 is here and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast. And we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Vyadaris, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. The First Lady of New York Radio. This is Ask Joan. People are already asking us, do I have ideas for how they can spend Memorial Day weekend if they don't feel like going to the beach yet and they don't want to go to the parades? Well, I'm going to suggest, if you haven't been there in a while, the Intrepid Museum at Pier 86 at 46th Street, right along the Hudson River in the Hell's Kitchen neighborhood, 212-245-0072, they're celebrating Fleet Week from May 26th to the 29th, and they're going to show a classic movie, Top Gun, on the flight deck, musical performances, displays, and they're doing a Memorial Day ceremony to cap it off. Everything is free, but if you do want to enter the museum, you have to pay the entrance fee. It's a great happening. People love it and look forward to it every year. Now, if you want something else, the Washington Square Outdoor Art Exhibit is on May 27th, 8th, and 9th. That's the 27, 28, 29. And the next weekend, June 3rd and 4th, it's free. It's been going on for 92 years. It's so much fun to wander around Greenwich Village, maybe buy something. People who show there are from all over the world all over the country, and I love the opportunity to go through Washington Square Park, enjoy the different sights. There's always music, people playing chess, restaurants, great shopping. It makes for a really good day. 